is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 2, Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Support for this season comes from Southern Exposure's Alternative Exposure Grant Program in partnership with Facebook's Artist in Residence Program and the Andy Warhol Foundation. If you find value in listening to Beyond the Studio, we'd love to ask you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's the easiest way to show us some love and to help others find the podcast. Thank you so much in advance for letting us know what you think and for supporting the show. You might hear some adult language used occasionally on the show, so please be mindful of those around you and pop in some headphones if needed. When I'm not working on the podcast, I'm working on my fiber art and illustration brand, Close Call Studio. So if you want to follow along with my own journey, you can check me out on Instagram at Close Call Studio or check out my website at CloseCallStudio.com. It's Nicole here, your other Beyond the Studio co-host. I'm a painter, muralist, and installation artist. If you want to see more of my work and studio process, you can find me on Instagram at Nicole Marie Muller or my website, which is Nicole Marie Muller. That's M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot com. This week, we're taking a break from Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition to bring you a very special interview that Amanda and I are both really excited about. And before I introduce our guests, I just wanted to share that about a month ago, I think on Instagram, we came across this event called Art World Conference coming up in April of this year. Art World Conference is a new annual professional development experience bringing over 300 artists and arts professionals together around the topics of self-empowerment and financial literacy. It's happening from April 25th to 27th and 2019 in New York City. And so we knew right away that we had to go. So we're really excited to be attending Art World Conference in just a few weeks. And it's a business and financial literacy conference that will include panel discussions, conversations, and in-depth workshops addressing many of the opportunities and challenges faced by visual artists and arts professionals. So topics will range from sales, marketing, grants, taxes, managing debt and investing to managing public projects, new technologies, and growing and sustaining community. The emphasis of all programming is on personal development and empowerment. So obviously we're all about this at Beyond the Studio and we are really excited to attend. Hopefully we'll see you there. Um, But today we're talking with Dexter Wimberly and Heather Bendari, the organizers and co-founders of Art World Conference. Dexter Wimberly is an entrepreneur and independent curator, and Heather Bendari is co-author of the Leading Professional Development Guide for Artists, Art Slash Work. So Dexter and Heather, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Well, we absolutely want to talk about Art World Conference today and what led to your partnership. But we thought initially we could just create a little context around the event and hear more about your own creative journeys. So if you both in your own words wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do, just your personal creative backgrounds. Heather, please go first. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Thank you, Dexter. Thanks for having us, Nicole and Amanda. I'm super excited to be here. So I started by being an artist. I was a a student artist. 
And I made art undergrad and grad school, got an MFA and went out into the world and faced many of the problems that most artists are still facing today, um, where I wasn't exactly sure how to make a sustainable career out of it. I was very motivated to be an artist, really loved it, but I started working in galleries actually to, to make ends meet and I ended up loving it. That was something that was very unexpected for me. I did it mainly to just have an income. But once I started working with other artists and a more curatorial level and an administrative level, I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I was going to. And I ended up diverting my career in that direction. But along the way, because I had made work at the beginning and I still understood how to make work and still really appreciated the struggle that it it takes to to make a career as an artist. I ended up writing that book, um, Artwork, a decade ago with a friend, Jonathan Melber. At the time, I was working at a gallery called Mixed Greens Gallery, which I was at for a very long time, for 16 years as a director. So I got to work with a lot of emerging artists during that time and realized that a lot of them even 10 years after I was having that struggle as an artist coming to New York, they were still having the same exact issues. And I was being asked to be on more and more panels and do more and more talks. And artists were asking all the same questions. So Jonathan Melbourne and I got together and wrote this book because we thought that it would be helpful. At the time, there weren't a lot of professional development books out there. Now there are many, many more and really amazing resources. But at that time, I couldn't really find one that I that spoke to me. So we did that. After Mixed Screens closed in 2016, that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. And I've done lots of other things in between now and then, including working at Smack Mellon Gallery, which is a nonprofit in Brooklyn, and then met up with Dexter while doing a bunch of different consulting work. And maybe Dexter can take it from here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my journey has been a bit... Um circuitous or circumspect not quite sure what the right term is it's late at night so you know forgive me but like I said <laughs> sounds like the the life of an artist or anyone really working in the realm of art <laughs> like I said time is a figment of your imagination so for, for me um, the journey starts a very long time ago it goes all the way back to 1995 which is crazy because 1995 is almost 25 years ago so when I was a brash and uh, fearless 20 year old in 1995, I started a company called August Bishop, which is a marketing and advertising agency. Because, you know, when you're 20, you think you can do anything. And so that company actually took on a life of its own and became my uh, focus in my life for almost 13 years, working with brands that wanted to connect with youth culture. But during that time, um, the mid-90s into the early aughts, I began meeting a lot of people who were fine artists who were moonlighting as graphic designers and fashion photographers. And it was kind of curious to me because, you know, when I went to school, my focus was on the potential of becoming a lawyer. I, I didn't really think about any creative endeavors when I was in school. My thought was I'd graduate from college, I'd go to law school, and then I would do that and follow that path. And so when I decided to start an ad agency, which really was a complete 90 degree turn away from anything I'd ever been considering, it took me into a whole nother world. And so I'm meeting all of these creative people who had advanced degrees in painting and sculpture and photography and all these other things. And I started asking them, and some of them were my friends, I started asking them, well, why are you making logos for fashion companies or doing these other non-art, in my view, non-fine art related things? And the answer was simple. Well, you know, being a painter in New York doesn't pay your rent. 
And I said, well, I guess I get that. <laughs> that makes sense. But after hearing that a few times from a few different people in a few different ways, it became clear to me that there was somehow this disconnect between what people were learning in school and what they needed to know to actually function in the quote unquote real world, right? And I don't want to speak too monolithically about the real world because everyone has their own perception <laughs> of what that is. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in terms of like, you know, just talking practically, like paying your bills, right? Uh, whatever world you think you live in, that's a reality. So paying your bills is something that everyone should strive to be able to do. And so I thought it was kind of egregious in a way that people would somehow spend 15 years of their life in school and find themselves in a position where they weren't actually able to pay their bills. And for me, my interest in the advertising and PR and marketing world started to wane around, you know, 2010 or so, or even I would say even earlier than that, probably around 2008. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could work more collaboratively collaboratively with the artists that I knew. For brevity, I'm skipping over some minutia here, but um, the, the bottom line of the story is that I met a lot of really fantastic creative people who somehow didn't have the tools that they need to think entrepreneurially about their lives and their careers. And I have been an entrepreneur since as long as I can remember. And I wanted to share what I knew as an entrepreneur with the artists that I knew. And I started curating exhibitions as a way to help the artists that I knew get exposure. And by that process, I started talking to them about things along the lines of marketing and sales and strategy and PR and how do you advertise yourself and how do you pitch yourself and all these things. And before long, I became this de facto sort of like artist consultant slash manager that I never wanted to be. <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted to do that. All the while curating exhibitions. And so to make a very long story much, much shorter, in 2000 and I want to say 2000 and nine or 10, I was at a friend's house and I saw this book on their shelf, this orange book called Artwork. And I picked up the book and I said, hey, can I borrow this? In other words, can I take this and you'll never see it again? And I took the yeah. book and I took the book home and I read it and I said, man, this book is everything that I've been trying to share with the artists that I know, like all the information in this book. And so, you know, it became something that I would refer to on a regular basis. Little did I know that about four years later, I would meet Heather because of a show that I was curating at Mixed Screens Gallery. Mm -hmm. Man. <laughs> yeah. So Dexter and I have known each other for about five, a little more than five years now, I think. Yeah. And after he curated a show at Mixed Screens, we kept in touch. And then Dexter had this idea last year. So my whole, I think both of us, like the way that we're describing it, we're both sort of conduits of information. <laughs> like we both found <laughs> ourselves in positions where we ended up knowing things. Like for me working in the gallery, I got like insider information all the time because I was negotiating things and, and talking on behalf of other artists to make projects happen. And, and I was always very interested in being transparent about those conversations and negotiations and sharing all the information that I was learning. And I think, Dexter, you're the same way. So you, when someone visibly had a problem, you shared as much information as you possibly could. So I think that's where this whole conference comes from. It's just amplification of sort of what we had already been doing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. and, and it's also sort of this, it's almost destiny in a way, and not to speak on these like platitudes and, you know, <laughs> destiny, Dexter. That's very dramatic. But it destiny is destiny. Time. So, like, for, like for me. So, I think, I think, I think of it this way, right? I've spent the past 
in some regards, you could say easily, 20 years getting prepared for this conference. So in a sense, if I think about all the time that I spent working with brands and then how that overlapped with work, working with artists, and in the middle of all of that, I spent a brief period of time consulting the Savannah College of Art and Design in 2006 through 2008. And so that was sort of my introduction to the ecosystem of sort of higher learning and fine art and MFAs and all of and all of that sort of like business. So in a way, I've always wanted to create this platform for people who have information to share it with people who want the information. I just didn't have the experience or the apparatus to do it. And so after almost 20 years of working for myself and then working at a number of nonprofits in various capacities. So for example, in 2011, I was the director of communications at the Museum for African Art. In 2014 through 2016, I was the director of strategic planning at Independent Curators International. For about a year and a half after that, I was the executive director of Al Jaira Center for Contemporary Art in Newark, New Jersey. So I've worked at a number of nonprofits that are invested in the lives of artists. And at the same time, I've been a curator for, for 12, 13 years, and I've organized probably 50, 55 exhibitions. So this conference is really the culmination of all of that knowledge and all of those experiences. And also when you're so invested or involved in a certain line of work and open to those kinds of connections, then you start to find other people that are in the same space. And I think that's where those sort of divine connections start to, it feels like they're happening because you're encountering people that share the same values or share the same mission as you and um, your work continues to intersect. And so that sort of answered the question too of how your partnership came about and how um, you both came into each other's lives and clearly how related your work and your, your own careers have been, um, although also very diverse and different, that you've been able to bring this together and bring your joint experiences into this conference. I would be really interested to know from your point of view, because there's clearly a need for this type of event and based on what you've just described in your own experiences, that this is an issue that transcends boundaries, that this is uh, something that any and all artists are really facing to some degree. This, These kinds of challenges or struggles around what it looks like to build a life and career as an artist. And so I wonder where you think that gap comes from. Why is there such a disparity between being an artist, um, between business and creativity, um, that this need hasn't been filled? I would love to hear each of your perspectives on that. And I'm also wondering because you mentioned a number of times, Dexter, talking with artists that have gone through this educational funnel, if you feel like a lot of it has to do, uh, and of course there are artists who are facing similar challenges who maybe didn't follow that same path or aren't coming through the same trajectory of getting a higher education in the arts, but for those that have, do you feel like that's an area where there should have been more emphasis on professional development, where there hadn't been, or where, where do you feel like this rift is happening? There are a lot of answers to that question, so I'll just I'll just give you one, and hopefully it's a good one. Mm -hmm. I think that traditionally, when someone is pursuing a creative field, there's this belief that fiscal matters, financial matters, are secondary, and to some degree, that's true, right? It, you know, if you're a, 
a painter, you don't necessarily, you're not an accountant, right? You can get an accountant. And clearly, a lot of very, very smart people still hire other people to do those kinds of jobs for them. It's not as if everyone needs to know how to stare at a tax document and figure it all out. I'll be the first one to tell you, I use an accountant. I don't even try. <laughs> Same. <laughs> So, um, but I know enough to use an accountant, right? And so I think part of the problem is that the responsibilities and the, and the, and the sort of the, the, the things that you have to deal with in the world are a constant, a constant reality. And unfortunately, there are thousands of people that graduate without this, you know, sort of the, the most basic information that they need in order to deal with the non-creative aspects of their lives. Now, I'm, I'm sure that that is the case in other areas as well. It's not just an issue with creative people. It's not just an issue with quote unquote artists. That's probably more of a problem of higher education in general, right? That you can somehow go through college and grad school and no one talks to you about like taxes or credit scores. That's a whole nother issue that's probably broader in the educational system that needs to be addressed because you're responsible for these things and someone should be giving you this information. But I think it's, it's, it's sort of exacerbated and amplified when you're an artist because generally speaking, your income from making and selling art is not uh, consistent. It can have these sort of like spikes and lows, so peaks and valleys. And that's a very difficult situation to be in when you're trying to do things like buy a home or get a loan. Oh, yes. <laughs> or save for retirement or have health insurance. And the list goes on and on and on. And so I've always thought it was a bit of a travesty that there wasn't some apparatus in place that could be there for creative people who wanted to have, by their own definition, sort of a more normal interaction with the economy. And I'll put an asterisk on that to say, I know that there are people out there that respond to that and say, well, everyone doesn't need to own a home and everyone doesn't need to take out loans and everyone doesn't need to have credit cards. And there would even be some people that would say, everyone doesn't need to have health insurance. And to that, I would say, okay, that's true. But for those who want those things, there needs to be something in place, even if they're a creative person painting every day so that they can have those things. Yeah, right. like we may not all necessarily want the conventional life, but the options that come with conventional life should still be available to us. Like I know as an artist, I don't know how, but I am able to afford some real crappy health insurance. And my husband, who's an artist, cannot afford his health insurance. And we've tried buying a house and they basically laughed at us and told us to go get real jobs for two years and then come back. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. not really an option. Right. 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 And there are people with the information on how to make that work and how to be able to own a home, even with an income that has the peaks and valleys of a freelancer. And so we're trying to provide access to those people. Like there's going to be a session that's only on debt and how to think about debt and how to restructure and how to how to think of it as a pot. Like it's actually used by a lot of companies to leverage other deals and like how do we rethink what it means to have debt. But um, I'm going to go 
bigger and more structural than Dexter's answer. While he was talking, I was thinking there's also, there's another problem that there's a systemic problem in the art world and it has to do with the educational system, but it also just has to do with, I don't know when it started. I don't, I haven't looked into the history. I'm not an art historian. I haven't figured out like art market history, but for a long time now, it's worked really well that artists don't know these things and artists are looked at as being the one to provide the creative output and then other people can take care of everything else and it puts artists in a position that's very powerless. The art market has benefited from that greatly. I was a gallerist for a long time and there are tons of amazing awesome gallerists out there so I'm not this isn't a blanket statement about every right, gallerist. It's a more systemic issue than about any particular. Right there's a systemic issue where in general having artists not know these things works really well for all the people who are selling the art and all the people who are showing the art and if you don't have cost of labor for artists and you don't have a lot of costs associated with working with artists it just makes a lot of things run more easily and you make more money and it in the education system, there was this this thought that, you know, you're going to sully the artist's mind if you teach them how to do these things. Like if you talk about business or you talk about promotion, all of a sudden they're going to be making work that's only about the market. And, and I understand that you don't want to take people out of the studio to only think about business and marketing. But at the same time, you're putting artists in a position where they're powerless when they leave. And so I think only in the last decade has it become accepted by a larger population population and it's only growing that there there doesn't need to be a separation and that artists are equal to all those people who are, know about finance and know about marketing that they can know both things and they can still be really amazing artists and as this the tide is changing artists all of a sudden have more power and that's that's really scary to a lot of people who are in power at the moment so there there are still people who think that what we're doing or writing a book on professional practice or teaching a professional practice class is really unseemly. It's like taking artists out of the studio to do something that's really unseemly and outside of the realm of what they should be doing. But my attitude toward this is if people are given, if artists are given this information, they're going to have more confidence and the potential for sustainability. Because we want artists who are doing really great things in the studio to keep doing really great things in the studio and to be able to have a long career that potentially has the benefits of a more stable income or or the access to an accountant or whatever else you you want. So I think this is this whole idea of giving artists this information is more it's more like revolutionary in a way not to like overstate what we're doing, but it is like a little bit more revolutionary than you would think on first glance. Yeah. And I don't think you're being hyperbolic at all. I think this is I mean, no. these are artists lives and like we want to be able to have some control within our lives or at least as much as we can and not have you know someone else being stingy with knowledge prevent us from being able to pursue our goals in the way that works for us. Well, yeah. And as you were talking to just about how rooted this is in the history of the art market and art world in general, I was thinking about um, patronage even and just this the, these early hierarchies that existed where artists are always dependent on some other system or patron uh, to sustain them and how pervasive that is and how to this day even there's so much dependency that, as you mentioned, takes away power and agency 
see from the artists themselves. And so it just, it always seems curious to me that artists, more artists aren't approaching their careers with this kind of entrepreneurial mindset or viewing their creative professions as not to say that they have to be looking at it as a business venture per se, because I do understand what you're describing as this kind of uh, the ideals of art making being sort of separate from the motivations of starting a business. But like you said, that it's very critical to being able to sustain your work in life. And so I was just interested to hear from both of you who've been working in this space and really being generous with your own knowledge, what your perspective on where that comes from and why this is still such a, a broad systemic issue. I don't see it working any other way like I it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me to hoard information like it's never made any sense to me and I think that's why I was really drawn to mixed screens gallery because in the beginning we were online in like 1999 which like dates dates me big time but in 1999 this woman named Paige West who started it she put a gallery online and everyone thought that was cuckoo bananas like who was going to look at artwork? It was disgustingly gross to put artwork online because it lost its soul. It like lost the aura, all this stuff. So we were fighting an uphill battle for like five years trying to prove to people that it was still serious and that being transparent was actually good for everyone and working together was really good for everyone and working as a like having partnerships was really good for people. It just made perfect sense to me. And I worked that uphill battle for like five years and then people started to come around. And only in the last five years, I think when after that, well, maybe more than that, time flies. But after that economic downturn, it was, you know, all of a sudden all these smaller galleries looked at each other and they're like, oh my God, we're not going to survive unless we work together. And artists always work together. Like they've always had community, there's, they've always re um, relied on community to keep moving their projects projects forward. And I don't know, it was just obvious to me. I feel like the new generation there, it's not just the art world though. I feel like there are lots of other, I have friends who are doctors who were working 80 hour plus weeks and the older doctors were like, I did this. You can do it too. It makes you a better person. And I feel like there are artists and arts administrators who also were like, I did this. You can do it too. Like what you'll learn it on your own. But I've always thought everyone's going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes in their life. And like, why make the mistake of someone else you already know? know if you could just right people are waking up to the idea that there's another way maybe and we don't have to repeat these same patterns why? over and over yeah why repeat all the same mistakes as the people like just share the information then you can make your own mistakes and like go your own direction but we're all going to make them anyway like let's not do let's not make the same ones yeah, I also, but but I also think it's sort of a, um, it's a very challenging environment, right? And so I often say that I think being an artist is a very brave endeavor. Whether it's a decision or something you were born into, is I won't even touch that. You know, some people are like, I knew I was an artist when I was two. And I say, okay, sure, you were. And some people say, I decided to become an artist. And I say, well, that's great too. But regardless of whether you were born an artist or decided to become an artist, being an artist is a very challenging occupation for a lot of reasons. Some of them are financial and some of them are emotional. But for the financial reasons that we've touched on, I think that what's interesting to me is that the structure of the art world or the structure the art world attempts to have hasn't really changed in 60 years, which doesn't make any sense when you consider how few industries there are that haven't changed in 60 years that are actually thriving, right? Most of the industries right. we think about 
aren't even 60 years old. The ones that we deal with on a regular basis aren't even that old. And then the others that are much older than that, we complain about them all the time, like the subway system in New York City, right? It's like really, <laughs> really old and really jacked up. But the things that we really are excited about that we interact with on a daily basis are probably like 15 years old. Like for example, like Gmail just celebrated its 15 year anniversary, which is kind of funny. But the thing is, when you think about the art world and the relationship between artists and galleries and galleries and collectors and collectors and museums and museums and the government, that relationship, that chain of relationships pretty much mirrors the way it was in the 60s and 70s, which makes absolutely no sense when you consider that the world has changed around that structure so drastically. A little bit off the off the track of the conversation, but still illustrative to what we're talking about. There are people who can say these words, people much older than all of us. Oh yeah, I drove a taxi in 1970 and I put both of my kids through college. The idea of someone saying that to you today is absolutely insane. You will never hear those words today. So in a way, inflation and just the general cost of living has completely changed. But the structure of the relationship between artists and galleries and galleries and others hasn't really changed. And so I think it's kind of funny that people don't ex don't expect that artists need a new sort of set of tools in order to operate in this world, right? You can't just graduate from school while you're paying down your loans, while you're paying your crazy rent while you're doing, you know, you think about all these things and still expect to survive unless you have a really, really great successful career or a set of skills and know-how that can help you kind of make it through that. And so I just think it's unfortunate that people haven't been willing to address those realities. The world has changed. And so artists need the tools to really succeed in this new environment. It's a very, very different environment. Well, what I really appreciate about what you all are doing with Art World Conference is is broadening this conversation and really trying to bring this all together in a central place and to really take it beyond these one-on-one -on -one conversations that you're having or really small-scale events and to try and address these really large systemic issues. So I would love to hear a little bit about the history of how this came about now that you've talked about your own individual paths and how you started collaborating from the idea to create some type of conference around this content to where you are um, now as we're recording just a few weeks out from the event. Can you take us through that process a little bit and how your collaboration uh, evolved from the beginning? Sure. So about a year and a half ago, I had this, this sort of like seed of a kernel of an idea that would be this conference. But when, it, when I started thinking about it initially, I wanted to bring together various organizations that were in the service of artists and professional development and create this sort of like week-long event that would bring these different organizations together. And I sat with that for a while thinking that that could be the business model. And then it occurred to me that if I did it that way, I would be assuming that other people had the time, energy, and desire to do this. And that I would just sort of like help organize it. And I, I didn't want to like take that leap of faith. 
I, I wanted to actually make sure that it would be something that was valuable, potent, and real. And so I said, okay, so instead of doing it that way, it needs to be its own thing, its own event, its own conference. And so that's just me alone thinking that. And I said, well, I can't, I can't possibly do that by myself. And Heather was- I the- mean, it sounds like a, a one-man job. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, he- and Heather was the first person that I thought about when I started considering who else out there is crazy enough to consider- <laughs> Thanks, Dexter. <laughs> to consider doing this. Who would have like the three or four like characteristics that I that I felt was necessary, right? It's like like crazy, like me, and then, <laughs> and then also um, brave. Oh, oh, that's good. Thanks. Right? Crazy and brave. Real Gryffindor. Go, go along with one another. <laughs> but also passionate about the cause, right? You know, like the cause here mm-hmm. really is how do you take all of the information that's out there and, and how, do you, how do you funnel that to people who need it in a way that they can actually digest it and process it? And that's not an easy thing to do. And so when I was thinking about Heather's book, the second edition of that book actually was published. Is it? Is it almost two years now, Heather? Uh, like a year and a half, 20, late 2017. Well, it's going on two years, <laughs> which is nuts. Going on almost two years, yeah. So let me back up a little bit. The little caveat here is that Heather's book inspired me back in 2010, and then I had the uh, the honor of being interviewed for the second edition that came out in 2017. The world okay. coming coming full circle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when I was thinking about what it would take to actually create a conference that could bring hundreds of people together around the issue of professional development and self-empowerment, Heather was the first and, and frankly, like only person I thought about. I felt would have the interest, the energy, the knowledge, the, you know, and the passion to work on this thing collaboratively to make it happen. And so we have, and and, and truth be told, for the greater part of a year working alone on this, and then we started bringing in other people. I mean, we've had, you know, a great graphic designer and web designer named Trish Kanakis, who's been working on this with us for almost, you know, a year. But in terms of like the meat and potatoes of the structure of the of the conference and who gets to be in the conference and what the conversations and the content is about, it's just been Heather and I making those decisions for a year now. To be at a point where we're just three weeks away from this happening is absolutely insane. It's crazy. It's very stressful. Um, <laughs> so Heather, when Dexter approached you to pitch this idea, what was your reaction? I think he didn't really pitch the idea right away. Th- thanks, Dexter, for the saying that I'm crazy and brave. I like that. Um, <laughs> I actually just saw the Gorilla Girls tonight. I was hanging out with a Gorilla Girl this afternoon. And anyway, this like fits in. They were like, you have cool. to be crazy and you have to be brave. Yeah. And I love them. So this feels really good right now. Very on trend for yeah. you tonight. <laughs> Very on trend for me today. But uh, so he, I think you were just like bouncing ideas off me, quote unquote, Dexter. <laughs> At the beginning, it was like bouncing ideas. (laughs) And the more he was like bouncing ideas off me, the more I was like, wait, this is like a really good idea. Wait a minute. This is a really good idea. I think this is like a thing. This is like a really good thing. And then we ended up being making it more formal that we were working together. So I was really excited because it's not that this information doesn't exist out there. Like you guys know you you're doing it on a weekly basis. You're putting out this podcast that's trying to help. There's there's information out there. There are great podcasts these days. 
essays. There are great other books. There are like one-off lectures and whatever here, there, and everywhere. And in New York, we do have more, I think. But in New York, we've got things that are going on. But it requires cobbling together a lot of small programs over the course of a really long time. Like it's very hard to get all this information at the time you need it and in one place. So putting it all together and having people come. Also, a lot of this information is offered at times when people don't actually want it or aren't able to absorb it. So sometimes in school, if you do have a professional practice class and you're 20 years old and you're getting this information and you've never actually filed your taxes before. Right. It's so hypothetical. Yeah, it's all hypothetical. A lot of it's hypothetical. But we're offering, I love the idea of offering this information all at once in one place at a time when you choose that you're going to get the information. So we're hoping and anticipating that the people who show up are psyched (laughs) to like actually hear this and they're ready to absorb it and they're ready to put things into practice. And we've told all the uh, the speakers that this isn't, you know, they're not supposed to be talking in hypotheticals. Um, They're supposed to be talking and trying to give information, be transparent, honest, give information that can be put into practice that day or the next day. Or, you know, and there would be things that come out of each and every conversation or session that can be used. Um, so practical, actionable information. And sometimes when you're when you're hearing about finance or marketing or audience building or whatever else, it's not actionable. It's kind of you're hearing about what a couple other people did in their lives. It doesn't always translate really well. So we're trying to offer this opportunity that it will translate into action. So that was exciting. So when Dexter brought it up, I was psyched. And we also have a lot of people in common that we know that are interested in this field and are really passionate. But then we also have circles that don't overlap. So that was also exciting to work with Dexter to figure out like who the voices are. And that we have a list that's really long of people we wish were also speaking at this conference. And we have 50 people speaking. It's not like it's a tiny thing. There are 50 people that were that are speaking. 54. 54 that are speaking. <laughs> and there are a bunch more that we wish could, but obviously there's only so much you can pack into two days. But we have a lot of ideas for the future also. We're trying to hit the big topics this time around and then we'll see what the reaction is and how we might get more specific or broader depending in future iterations. What's also interesting for me, I mean, you know, to see this thing go from idea to reality of the of the 50 plus speakers presenters that we have at the conference, I only know maybe 20 of them personally. So if you think of it, it's kind of a strange thing, right? So these are not people that I would, you know, sort of like looked into my network and said, hey, you want to do this thing with me? We actually selected people who we felt were the best at presenting information on the topics that we wanted them to present information on. Whether we knew them or not, if they came highly recommended, if they have the experience and the reputation and the background that we thought was potent and could really get the job done, then we asked them to participate. And what's surprising, I guess maybe surprising or maybe um, I'm thinking it's great, is that I would say with very, very few exceptions, and most of those exceptions had to do with conflicts of dates, everyone was extremely enthusiastic about participating. I like to think that I'm a very optimistic person. And because I'm an entrepreneur, I guess I'm like, have built in optimism. But if you listen to me talk, I know I can sometimes sound like someone who's pessimistic or even cynical. So forgive me because I know I'm an optimist. I know it. (laughs) Trust me. I'm optimistic. Trust me. I have four children. I have to be optimistic. (laughs) 
I, but you know, I was actually kind of surprised that we didn't get more resistance, right? You know, when you talk to someone about your idea and you're like, hey, you want to do this thing? You're always like bracing yourself for them to go, I don't think so. But everyone was like, you know, this is great. Let's do it. I'm on board. Yeah, and that, and that was like a wonderful reaffirming thing. I know that's something Nicole and I have learned so much from doing this podcast as well. Like when you ask artists to help other artists, unless they're busy, they generally want to say yes, because they're like, oh, yes, there's so many things I had to learn the hard way that I don't want other people to have to go through as well. I just think it's been so encouraging for us to to have reached out to people that we we don't know and to experience that same type of generosity. And I think that it it really validates that there is such a need for this type of event for Art World Conference to exist. It's also just exciting to hear that others are really excited about it when you're pitching this big, crazy idea. You mentioned some big topics that will be discussed and I'd love to know what some of those are and for the conference do you do you have a specific audience in mind for it like are you thinking emerging artists uh, specifically fine artists artists that are uh, a little bit more experienced or is it exclusively artists could designers benefit from it like what what's the broad spectrum of of audience that can benefit from going because I know since Nicole and I I'm on more of the craft side of the world of the art world and she's more on the gallery and mural and fine art side of the world we have kind of a spectrum of of listeners across that gamut well I think that we started with um, visual artists like fine artists visual artists because that's the world we know the best however the information is applicable to all the people you just mentioned. Um, And in fact, I think the information, although don't let this get out there, but the information is applicable to all kinds of people, like not just artists, but like growing an audience is one of the big topics. Like a lot of people want to know how to grow their audience. One of the topics is storytelling. We're going to start the conference with a panel on storytelling and how you tell your unique story. What are the different ways to get it out there? How do you tell it in the most effective way? Who are you talking to? Like that kind of thing. is going to happen at the beginning. Again, pretty much lots and lots of industries can want to hear about that. There's another one on making your own opportunities. There's another one on just economic stability. So I don't think the topics apply specifically to a tiny group of artists. However, all the speakers have been told that they're speaking to artists because I think the language changes, especially when it comes to finance. There's an entire track of finance. And if you're using certain words that are very alienating to anyone outside of finance, we're going to lose our audience. And we also wanted the speakers to know that mainly the people who are going to be sitting there are people who are freelancers. So that's also a whole other language because that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a different lifestyle. And in most cases you're going to have, some people will have one steady income, but they're going to have other incomes that are going up and down that are supporting that one steady income. So we wanted the information to be very applicable to visual fine artists, but the tone, the content, the takeaways from these conversations are applicable to these other realms. And Dexter and I have already talked about, you know, how we maybe expand our language or or expand our our goals or maybe the number of events that we have or the types of events that we have because this isn't going to be a one-off thing. We're, this is going to be hopefully sustainable and annual and maybe in other cities and all kinds of other things over the 
course of the next few years. So we're open. We're going to learn a lot from this conference also, and we're going to see who shows up. Based on registration so far, it's majority fine artists, we think. There and aren't as many crafter students. one crafter at least. And one crafter at least. But, when also but I do have a because- BFA, so... No. <laughs> and also what's funny is I don't see an enormous differentiation between crafters and fine artists these days. No. Also, there's so much overlap. So, yeah. um, but like age range, that's something we're going to discover. I think after all the registrations come in, we thought it would be more students. Although a lot, like I was saying before, a lot of this information isn't actually readily absorbed by a student. Um, so maybe non-surprisingly, there aren't as many students who have registered so far. But we've also had people registering who are arts administrators administrators because there is such an overlap between artists and arts administrators. And a lot of arts administrators who work in nonprofits especially need this information also because their income is also not necessarily steady. They also don't get the same education in like how to save, like how to plan for your future. They're not necessarily putting their money into a 401k that's being matched by a large corporation. Like that's not happening for them either. So we're getting a bunch of arts administrators also that are registering. So it's going to be a really interesting group, I think. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about some of the ideas that you have for how Art World Conference can evolve in the future. And it really does sound like this is an exciting point because there's such a flexibility around what could happen next. um, And a lot will be determined by this upcoming conference. But what do you see as some of the ideal outcomes or what's your vision for the future of it at this point in time and how you could see this growing? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there there's so many different ways you could measure success. I think that mm-hmm. for us, there are a number of different benchmarks. So there's this internal metric and then there's an external metric. So internally, you know, we know that this is a business that has to be sustainable. And so for us, through a combination of, you know, sponsors and ticket sales and other earned income, we're looking to create something that can actually last and go on year after year. So internally, those are those are our metrics, right? You know, because, you know, after all is said and done, it costs a lot of money to do a conference. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I had no idea how much money. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. If we're talking to artists yeah. about sustainability and also advocating for artists to get paid a living wage and all this other stuff, we have to pay a living wage and right. we have to be sustainable. Right. So that's, yeah. yeah, internally. So that's the internal thing. And then like externally, you know, I think I have a very simple external external um, metric. And that is if someone pays their money to, to attend the conference. I want them to leave feeling like they now know something and how to do something that they didn't know how to do or that they didn't know that could have a profound and positive impact on their career or their job or their outlook on what they're doing professionally, right? As an artist or as an arts administrator. It's hard to qualify what that thing could be, but I think that, you know, the the cost of the conference relative to the cost of things is not that expensive. Yeah, it's very affordable. Yeah, I, I mean, well, relative to the cost of like quote unquote business conferences, it's almost nominal. Which are thousands of dollars um, on average. But being completely transparent and being very, as we say, keeping it real, we know that even a few hundred dollars is not easy for everyone. And I just yeah. want to go on the record saying we labored over and 
cried over and went through painstaking processes to try to come up with a pricing structure that could be accessible to the people we'd like to attend, but also would allow us to make enough so that we could do this more than once. And that's a very difficult balance to reach, right? And I think that anyone who has never run a business might have a difficult time kind of grasping that. But the fact of the matter is, if it were free, it would need to be underwritten by some major foundational corporation. And don't get me wrong, if a major foundational corporation wants to underwrite the conference, <laughs> yeah. we are not opposed to it. But the, but the reality is that in order to do it, when we wanted to do it, how we wanted to do it, we had to do it ourselves. Yeah. And so that required us to actually charge money for people to attend. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just trying to give some context <laughs> to why there had to be a fee structure. But if, you know, I don't know, some some major donor said, this is great. Here's a million dollars. We could run it a couple of yeah. years, you know, for free for They're that free. money, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's so interesting because what the way that you're describing the conference is the way that the, the same position that a lot of individual artists find themselves in is having to negotiate this balance and the difference between being able to keep doing the thing that you want to do and the need to make it sustainable. And so how do you marry those things together in a, in a way that feels right um, and in this case allows you know as many people as possible to have access? So I appreciate you saying that and bringing it into the conversation because I think that similar we've tried to be really transparent about the podcast and about viewing this as a business venture that we want to make sustainable, you know, through sponsorships and through various other means. And, you know, we apply for grants and things too, but I, I do, and so related to the donor sort of funding model, you know, seeing that as maybe a potential avenue that we're open to, and of course would uh, accept that type of income, but still recognizing that that is a still kind of an existing dependent structure. Um, that we want to be aware of and to just be creative and thinking of other ways to make it sustainable. So it's great that as you're putting on this conference about professional practices for artists, you're thinking about how to treat the conference as a business and to make it sustainable and to be able to support the artists I'm sure that you're bringing in as speakers and to make it accessible for artists attending. And so it's all feeds into that larger conversation, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you invest in your future, you can help to open up the opportunities that you'll have in the future. I know like I've had to drop a decent chunks of change for different online courses that I've taken and they've always been terrifying when I first sign up because I'm like, okay, this is so much money that I am terrified to it's put into investment. this thing. Uh -huh. But it is an investment and it gives me the tools to not only earn back that money I spent on taking that course or pursuing that and it allows me to vastly improve my skills so that I can make a better living for myself and make my whole life more sustainable. So I think that those things can be kind of terrifying at first, but it is an investment. And if you want to be a self-employed artist, <laughs> mm -hmm. you got to get the tools on how to do that. Yeah. But it also leads me to another point that I think is worth mentioning. Um, I think oftentimes the conversation around money and around professional development, it leads people to think that, oh, so maybe you're talking to an audience of people who are struggling. And I think that we need to sort of like debunk the myth that it's only artists who are struggling to pay their bills or to make a living that actually need this information. Truth be told, the artists that I know 
who are actually doing very well need this information more than the artists that I know who are actually trying to quote unquote make it. Because the peril of doing well without knowledge is horrific, right? The financial peril you can find yourself in when you go from making nothing to making five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year without actually knowing what to do with the money and not knowing how to deal with your taxes, you can find yourself in a much worse situation than someone who's actually making very little money. If only more artists had that problem. I know. I'm like, that's a that's a problem I'm willing to try out. <laughs> Give me those six figure no, struggles. No, no. It's, it's, it's definitely it's definitely as they say, first world problems. But I would say my my point in stating that is that whether you're making twenty thousand dollars a year or you're making three hundred thousand dollars a year, you need to have a plan of what you're going to do with that money. Right. That's just like straight up. Or even if you're making a million dollars a year, I mean, you can use any permutation of, of, of dollar amounts. The point is money is money. And whether it's a dollar or $50 or $50 million, you got to know what you're doing with it. And so I think that it's misleading to think that only people who are like struggling with money need advice about money. Like everyone needs advice about money. Like everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We all have yeah. to use it to survive and we should all know how to use it well. Right. Is there any Anything that we didn't talk about that you would want to mention to artists that are listening that are potentially interested in coming to the conference? Yeah, one thing I want to say that's really important, and that is, I mean, you know, and, and it's kind of um, right on the heels of what I just said about money. The conference is not just about money. I think that the, <laughs> the, 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 conference, the conference is really about the idea that artists have the power to control their own fates and futures and destiny. And that the idea of relying on a gallery or some other outside force to guide everything that happens in your career and by extension your life is actually not necessary. You have the power to get the tools and the information yourself so that you can make informed decisions, not only about your finances, but decisions, strategic decisions about your career, decisions about where you want to live, decisions about all sorts of things. And so there's also this valuable aspect of community. I think that being around other people who have some of the same challenges or have found solutions to your challenges is very, very valuable. You know, I find that while you can find a lot of information in a book or online or other sort of like digital means, it's really important to be able to connect with other human beings. I think that's extremely, extremely important. I think that's why I also really liked Dexter's idea was because it was an in-person meeting of a bunch of people. Because a lot of the ideas that I've thought are interesting over the last five, 10 years have involved putting things online or creating community online or connecting online. And to actually go back to old school, like let's all get in a room and have a bunch of people in a room who have to talk to each other. We're going to have, we'll see how it goes. We're going to have Brendan Fernandez, (laughs) the artist, is doing movement exercises with people on the first day to make people like stand up and look at each other and connect with each other. And we'll see how that works. And because we really want people to connect with each other. I think there are going to be people who are coming with others. So they'll already know one or two people, but I think a lot of people are coming alone and we want there to be some sort of community. A challenge that we have is also is how to connect with that community after this conference is over. So Mm -hmm. we're thinking through that and how to have events or points of connection that go beyond this one conference. So there's more to come on that. 
But um, I think that'll be another um, indicator of success for us is if people have connected with one another, not just the information that's being offered, but the other people in the room. Ready to go make some art friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, ready? it really <laughs> excited us about the conference because, you know, we're really invested in creating community online and through the podcast, but we talk a lot about how that can feel like a, a one-way street sometimes. And, you know, sure, we get to have conversations with other artists one-on-one and then other people can listen to them and it can kind of feel like you're in the same room together, but there's definitely no substitute for that real face-to-face community. And so when we saw Art World Conference, self-empowerment and financial literacy for artists and arts professionals. We knew this was, I mean, this was, you know, something that we wanted to, to go to. And just the idea too of a conference for the art world, like it just sounded like this mashup of like business and art. Yeah. I know that we're really excited about it. And so registration closes April 18th. Is that correct? It does, yes. That's correct. It's a week before the event. And so we hope people will, uh, you know, sign up and and join us. And, you know, New York is the first stop for this conference. We'll do it every year in New York. And, you know, that's the plan in a second city every fall. We're both in, you know, the New York area. So, um, you know, if we were in another part of the country, that's where it would have started. (laughs) It's just, you know, that just happens to be where we are. But we recognize that there are a lot of cities around the country and, and, and truth be told around the world that we'd love to bring this conference to in due time. Um, we're going to, you know, do it here and, and have it grow. And where can artists find information about the conference? Uh, can they follow you guys on social media? Uh, where can they get the tickets? All the all that good stuff. Well, I mean, I would definitely say, you know, because I'm a very, very practical person. So it's all Art World Conference. It's artworldconference.com. It's at Art World Conference. My email <laughs> is Dexter at Art World Conference. You know, you don't have to figure anything out. It's all straightforward. You know, it's www.artworldconference.com. You know? <laughs> You can get to me at heather at artworldconference.com. It's all <laughs> Art World Conference. Yes. And Perfect. Dexter is really aggressive on social media. So you should definitely sign up and see how that is. See what that looks like. <laughs> You're showing up in the feed. No, follow is me it if you Art dare. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Nicole. It is Art World Conference. <laughs> And I don't even remember if we said this. I hope we did. But when is the conference going down? April 25th through 27th. So we're doing a welcome party on Thursday, April 25th. And then the core of the conference is this 26th and 27th at New York Law School. The party's at New York Academy of Art. All that's on our website. You can download the schedule. It's a PDF. So, you know, it's easy. You can just download it and print it out or refer to it on your computer or or, uh, phone. Um, And we'll update that as things... um, develop, but everything is locked in, you know, there won't be any significant changes between now and the conference. We may, you know, you know, you know maybe we'll add a speaker that can always happen. But, uh, <laughs> but as far as we know, we're locked and loaded, as they say. <laughs> yeah, and the party's awesome. going to be very fun. The party's going to be super fun on the Thursday at New York Academy of Art. Well, we'll awesome. be there. We're ready. We're ready to party and learn all the things and make all the friends. <laughs> <laughs> good yeah good thank you all again for talking with us tonight um for sharing your story and what our world conference is all about um we're really excited for what you're doing and so we appreciate your investment in it and um, can't wait to see how it grows thank you guys for having us it's been a lot of fun 
Yeah, yeah thank and you thanks so for much. putting on the conference. I guess we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you in real life. <laughs> All right, take care. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. The heater stopped. Well, in case the heater kicks on again, I'm sorry in advance, listeners, for the crazy loud heater that you've been hearing all season, because even though right now it's 61 degrees out, the heater still keeps kicking on. I have no control over my heater. Just want to tell you that we appreciate you taking the time and we're, first of all, really excited to be coming to Art World Conference, um, but also really excited to talk with you tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, time is a, is a figment of your imagination. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. (laughs) That'll just be the quote of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to think that every time I'm pulling a late night, an all nighter or something, it's all just a figment of my imagination. (laughs)